0: Uh Throughout 2020, we've been talking about MotoGP, with really what's happened the weekend before. But what we're going to do in this podcast with myself, Toby Moody, and Simon Patterson is throw the doors open for you guys out there to ask us some questions. We put the question out on Twitter through We Are The Race, and we've got a load of questions here. Simon, we are uh, all lined up on the grid. Are you well and good? <laughs>
1: yeah. Nice to uh, nice to switch off a little bit once the season's over and nice to have an opportunity to talk about some of the things that maybe we've missed over the year or that we haven't quite given the full amount of detail to thanks to the craziest season I can ever remember. A bit of peripheral stuff will pop up. <laughs> and the first of
0: which is from Dennis Bad Behaviour DW. Will the KTM work for Danilo Petrucci as it did for the riders this season? His riding style, his body stature. What's your take on that one? You go first.
1: Um, I think it will. The, the KTM seems to be a bike that suits, you know, someone who likes to slam on the brakes and throw it around a little bit. That's what the sort of the three fast guys have. That's the way they ride. Um, they're not smooth. They're not Jorge Lorenzo. Uh, the Binders, the Oliveras, the Espigaros of this world. And Petrucci fits into that quite well. Um, I think he'll, he'll take a little bit of time to get used to it because it's obviously so different from the Ducati but it should help him out. It should play to his strengths. And obviously it's a big V4. It's super fast. And that's probably quite necessary because let's be honest, he's not the latest guy in the grid to be logging about.
0: I was just about to say, um, Austrian hospitality is exceptionally good. I do speak (laughs) from, from experience. And he is a rugby kind of, stature he uh, you get the impression in the greatest respect that he struggles a little bit to keep a little bit of the pastor off Mm -hmm. but um
1: uh, yeah there's
0: there's some great red bull you know (laughs) training regimes and whatnot so he'll be
1: he'll be all right right, i always think he looks a little bit like what he is an italian countryside police officer Correct. Yes.
0: (laughs) He just needs a four by four panda. Exactly. It's the full, it's the full, (laughs) it's the full lot, isn't it? Okay, then next question for Barani Prasath VT. Will there be a seat available for Andrea De in 2022? That seems an awfully long way away at the moment. Of course there will. Of course there will. People will be talking about that at the moment. The question is, where will he go? I think the bigger question is, will he want to go anywhere?
1: I disagree. I don't think there will be a seed for him. I think when it comes to then, he's going to be a 36-year-old guy that hasn't rode a MotoGP bike in a year. There's going to be another burst of talent from Moto2 like we saw this year. In fact, I think that the, the generation... Coming is maybe even more exciting. Whenever you look at people like Aaron Kinnet, Fabio Di Uh, you know all these guys are going to want to move up. Teams have learned their lesson about taking a bet on young riders. They've seen what Suzuki did with Mir. They've seen what Honda did with Marc Marquez. Arguably, at the beginning, you know they want to move up young, fast guys, not old guys who they know can't beat Marc Marquez anyway. I think
0: also, and it's only just dawned on me when you just said that is. They're taking a subconscious cue from what's happening in Formula One, which is, oh, let's get somebody back and put them in. It didn't work with Michael Schumacher. Let's see what happens with Alonso. But when you've got Max Verstappen winning when he was 18 years old and he's still only very young, they they just have a mental capacity to take on so much information so much data the car will do this the bike will do that through that corner okay fine Ruh, they do it uh, lack of imagination that's the old school <laughs> way of saying it but hunger yeah it's all there i think uh, all the stars aligned for the for the youth
1: yeah and and when you look at the teams that are on the grid with space as well. You know, Suzuki have made it abundantly clear they want young riders. He obviously won't end up back in a Ducati. Uh, Petronas Yamaha have made it very, very clear that they want young riders and they're not even very happy to have Valentino Rossi with them. You know, so even that limits his options. Where, Where can he go? LCR? Yeah, probably. Aprilia? Yeah, definitely. We know he wanted him anyway, but none of those teams can really afford to pay him the money that he wanted. And that was the sticking point this time, right?
0: Well, it depends how desperately he really wants to ride him on a GP bike. You either take a pay cut or you go home. And then when you exactly. go home, you earn no money. So <laughs> he needs to decide. But uh, I'm sure he will. Given Andre Iannone's punishment for doping, asks Neil Cowie. Seeing as though that punishment has been more severe than Russia's state-sponsored doping program that was halved to just two years uh, recently, wouldn't you say there is a conspiracy within the Mudder GP paddock against certain riders, and will we ever know the truth? Quite a probing question from Neil. Um, Not at
1: all. Let's, let's, <laughs>
0: let, let's, let's let you off the leash, shall we?
1: <laughs> um Andrea Iannone broke the rules. The rules are laid out in black and white. He went to court. He presented literally almost no defense at all. His defense was laughably bad. He deserved, from the defense he presented, the full four-year ban, which is written into the rules, in black and white. The Russia situation is very different. It's a much bigger situation. It isn't as clear what the rules are for things like state-sponsored things. It's all very grey and confusing, whereas the Ian Ony thing is super black and white, you know? I don't think there's any conspiracy. I think he's the guy that got caught, plain and simple. You know, If he'd wanted to be in the sport, then he shouldn't have taken the drugs, that it looks almost entirely like he took. And remember, Neil, that actually
0: the last uh, judgment on Ian Oni didn't come from
1: within the paddock. Exactly. In fact, it's quite telling that whenever it was taken out of motorsport and put into a neutral venue, they gave him an even bigger punishment. Ta-da!
0: Paulo Cruz will the move from Miguel Oli- of Miguel Oliveira to the factory team KTM give him that little extra performance and turn him into a title contender? If KTM is as competitive as 2020, it's that old adage, isn't it? there's not much difference between the tech three KTM and the works KTM. Will he step up because he's, he, he, he can feel himself on a higher pedestal because he's in the works team, different colors, different leathers, or will that pressure be a little bit too much? I certainly doubt the latter because he can handle unbelievable pressure at, at his relative, uh, a experience in the big class. So, there's a few more KTM questions that we will come to, but let's just focus on Oliveira
1: here. How do you think he will go next year? Agree completely with everything you've said. Um, I think we've seen that he's a guy that can deal with pressure. He'll be able to step it up. There will be a little bit more support whenever you're talking to the guys who built the bike instead of the guys who are working on the bike that, that'll help him out. But I also think that uh, one of the biggest factors next year in improving his performance even more will be having Brad Bender on the other side of the garage. They work very, very well together. They're both proven winners in a KTM team while on two sides of the garage. Uh, I spoke to Brad the other day for an interview, and he said he's really looking forward to having Miguel in because they ride similarly, they motivate each other well, they help each other out whenever they need to. I think that more than anything could be the... uh, the big step that he needs.
0: Thank you, Paolo. Uh, Chris Hayes asks the next question. Why, in practice or qualifying, for example, are crashed riders allowed to, you know, scoot back to the pits, run straight through the garage, jump on their second bike, and then go out of pit lane without anybody checking their kit, i.e. re-scrutineered? To be fair, Chris, the team tend to just have a quick squiz over and see how the leathers are. I suppose, though, Simon, if the leathers have been broken or whatever, you've had such an accident, you're hurt. It's almost self-policing, isn't it? Almost.
1: Yes and yes and no. Um, I I personally think uh, you should not be allowed to do it. 100% shouldn't be allowed to do it without changing helmets. Agreed never mind the leathers helmets are single use items at the end of the day if you land on them incorrectly leathers can take a few beatings helmets can't um so yeah my my opinion would be that i think you should have to change a helmet that should be mandatory um but like you say the the teams do chen the teams do tend to look over leathers and gloves and boots and stuff like that make sure they're not you know too damaged we um if you're in one of the media centers where you can look down into the back of the pit garages um, and you stick your nose out after a rider's crashed, it's not uncommon to see a slightly angry and impatient looking rider standing getting airline hosed down by a mechanic to try and blast the dust off and things like that. So um, yeah, it, it's one of those things that it, it there could be improvements, but it's not as bad as maybe it looks.
0: Sorry to go back to an, to an F1 story, but it's the only story I know about this Derek Warwick, former president of the BRDC, got Silverstone going with, with bikes, as you know. Uh, top bloke. He had a ginormous crash at the beginning of the Italian Grand Prix at Monza in a, in a camel lotus one year. Hit the barrier, it all fell apart, sliding down the road on his helmet. He said he was lifting my helmet back into the cockpit to stop it being ground away. In fact, he was ground away. But of course, Aww. as he was going down the road, he was thinking, car's full of fuel. And I qualified, say mid-pack, early pack, so everybody's going to come past me. If somebody hits me and I'm full of fuel. So all this, anyway, jumped out of the car, ran from the exit of the Parabolica, down the pit lane, running, went into the garage. Long story short, they said, no, 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 you can sit in the medical car. So he sat in the medical car Mm -hmm. with Sid Watkins and Bernie at the time. And they said, okay, well, you know, what's your name and what day it is? And he was joking with them and he said, oh, my name's Nigel Mansell and it's Wednesday afternoon. No, 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 no. stop messing about. And they had a bit <laughs> of banter, but they let him drive because the race obviously was red flagged. So they let him take the restart. There were spare yes. cars in those days. And there's him driving. He was all right. Come on, let's get back in the car. Da, 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 da. And he said, I got halfway through the race and I felt rubbish. I felt absolutely really rubbish. And he said, the clutch went. He said, it's the only time in my entire career I wanted the car to break. I was, and he, because he looks back on it now with the advantage of a little bit of maturity. And he said, wasn't really very clever but of course he was a bullish guy and he wanted to just get back in
1: the car because that's what they're wired up to do they're all the same and you can't blame them no exactly and that's why um you know i i get a bit of heat sometimes for kicking off on twitter about safety but sometimes safety issues shouldn't be left to the writers
0: i have to save them from themselves
1: yeah exactly exactly
0: good question chris next one is from rogue one we know a few rogues how would the young guns of today fare on Mick Doohan's NSR 500? I've got my answer. Who's going to go first? Uh,
1: I'll go first because I've got less to go on because I wasn't around in the 500 days, so you can correct me whenever I tell you my story and you disagree. <laughs> um, I genuinely I think they'd go fairly all right. I think rider's ability is rider's ability, and they wouldn't ride the same way as they ride now but I think the fastest guys would still be the fastest guys. And of course, if you're going to ride any 500, it's probably Mick's because as smooth and refined motorbikes go, it's probably a Honda NSR 500, if you can call a 500 smooth and refined. Well, it was about
0: as refined as it could be. Um, yeah. My comment has nothing to do with the motorcycle at all. Mick was young. <laughs> he jumped on it in 89 and he did well. He had that terrible accident at Asson in 92 and he still then went on in 94 to win the first of five world championships even though they nearly amputated his leg after the 92 crash if you're young and you're skilled it doesn't matter about the machinery cars bikes aircraft aerobatics cycling whatever you use a machine for in sport if you if if you've got it and you're enthusiastic and you've got you can only Apply your skill with what is available at the time and they would get on fine they were all young then yeah. <laughs> very true they were all young then so we're uh, we're pretty similar on that one baldy 137 in what way does mark marquez's absence in 2020 and possibly because we don't know yet the first half of 2021 shape Honda's development plans for their bike. Do you think that they might also be tempted to consider the unthinkable and look beyond him for the 2022 season as it's going to be a bit of a bun fight for signings? quite a clever question like it
1: first thing just to 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 come up with um about the future is just a reminder that mark signed a contract that comes into effect at the start of next year for four seasons so he is completely secure in his honda future and based on the amount of money we think they're paying him i can't see him going anywhere else
0: he's secure so long as they all want it to continue
1: yeah of course a contract's <laughs> only as good as yeah we we know that yeah. we know that. but um I, I So I asked, uh, I did an interview with HRC technical boss Takeo Yokoyama uh, back in Aragon, and we talked about this and he admitted that, yeah, he feels the bike, the way he described it was he feels the bike is changing. The bike is becoming less of a Mark Marquez bike because they're developing it based on the feedback of everyone else. And that he does expect the bike to be smoother, more rider friendly when Marquez returns. He did say, he admitted, which is rare, that Honda have perhaps in the t- past been a little bit too focused on developing a bike that suits one superstar to the detriment of everyone else in the grid, which was quite interesting to hear. But he did also say that he believes the bike will have... Whenever Mark comes back, it's not that he won't not recognize the bike. It'll still feel like his bike, just a bit different.
0: Okay, so the the second part is is a bit of a an unknown, but... This four-year contract that is 21, 22, 23, 24, if things don't work out, I mean, we're, we're, yeah. we're, we're clutching at straws, I suppose. If things don't work out, then Honda are going to look somewhere else. <laughs> and as we've said in previous podcasts, if the rider is unable to supply the goods, then they're just going to have to, in in the mortal words of, of Aguma-san, who started HRC, we're going to have to just plug another one in. So... Uh, yeah, necessary faster is what he said to <laughs> Wayne Gardner. How did he get away with that? Why? Because he was a san.
1: <laughs> yes, necessary faster.
0: Okay, also exactly. from Baldy137, how do MotoGP, Dorna further develop the Moto E brand? I really enjoyed the racing, but there's so many naysayers that won't watch, don't give it any time. Can they get the bikes to go a bit further? Can they get better quality riders? What about more rounds? Chicken and egg won that Baldy 137. Chicken and egg, um, they are quite heavy. The efficiency of the of the internal combustion engine and the size of a one-litre internal combustion engine is giving out a massive amount of horsepower at the moment. It just works. And they weigh, what, 158 kilos, and they've got knocking on 300 brake. So... There is this block of of electric racing. Uh, I personally think the block is because it's all about the noise. It's just one of those senses of <laughs> motorsport that has been taken away. And even when you arrive at a circuit and you can't see the bikes, you can hear whizzing around, whizzing around as you're parking up. Whereas it is a bit dentist drill with with the uh, with the electric stuff. I just I keep saying it about electric. It's just a stepping stone to where things will go. It yeah. we will look back on it and go, oh, that's a Betamax, or oh, it's an eight-track. <laughs> look at us with our MP3 and our iPhones. It's just a stepping stone. Um better quality riders? Well, there's a lot of riders in three classes. So you know, arguably the 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 trade of being a mechanic in the MotoGP paddock is is top of the tree the next most popular job in the motor gp paddock is actually being a motorcycle racer yeah because there's thick end of what 80 of
1: them yeah 84 i think
0: 84 sure. there you go um so the riders naturally want to go motor three motor two big class that's where the money is but you know from little acorns from little acorns
1: yeah, the, the talent pool is actually improving in Moto E. We've seen riders now who are presented with the option of of back half of Moto 2 or front half of Moto E and have decided Moto E is the one to be in, which is quite interesting. So the, the talent pool, will it will improve um, slowly. I I personally don't think Dorna need to do a huge amount to Moto E at the minute because every time the, the class has another amazing race, it converts a few of the naysayers the end of the day, we're all racing fans. We all want to see close racing and it gives really, really good close racing. So, um, yeah, it, I think it'll be a slow process to convert people over, but it will happen. Um, I'm not as big a an adherent of the, the noise theory as you are because, uh, you know, we go to some races where there's 36,000 people trackside watching it, but there's 250 million at home who can't really tell the difference in the noise. The TV audience is the king. Um, And and if they get to see good racing, that's that's all that really matters, I think. Mm, Uh, mm. There are improvements coming to the bikes as well. Um, Energica is a really small little company. They're they're not a a big setup at all. They do exceptional work for the size of the business that they are. Uh, But they're right in the center of Italy's COVID storm. They've been hit really, really hard, harder than any other manufacturer in MotoGP by what has happened this year. Uh, so they've lost development time. They've lost the ability to do some really, really cool stuff that they were intending to do. So that's that's slowed down next year uh, a little bit more. Uh, and then the other thing is exactly like you say, uh, I did a big interview with with Nicolas Gobert, the, the boss of Moto E, mid-season. And he said, you know, they're not convinced that the future... They, they don't believe that the current guys of Moto E is what will replace internal combustion engines. They believe that electric motors will replace the internal combustion engine, but they don't think batteries will replace fuel. For racing? That there's all these, for, in general, because there's all these new technologies like hydrogen, like fuel cells, that that's the real future. But it's exactly like you say, we're, we've got a stepping stone at the minute. We've got a stepping stone, yeah,
0: yeah. And don't forget they had that terrible fire testing at the beginning of 19. So they've had two bad it's luck years. It's not been an easy road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They better have a good luck year next year otherwise I'm never getting in a hard car with Nicolas Gobert. <laughs> Lovely bloke <laughs> as he is. He's charming. But yeah. he absolutely is. Yeah. But yeah, I get your point. <laughs> yeah. Uh Steve Hood which previously used track would you like to see return to the MotoGP calendar and which new to MotoGP track would you like to see added? Hey. Eh? Ooh. I don't understand the second half, but I get uh,
1: a circuit we haven't gone to before.
0: Okay, all right then. So, wh- okay, circuit we don't go to, and what circuit don't 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 go to anymore? And what yeah. circuit would you like to go to that we've never been to before? Okay, then. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Oh, you beat me to it. Go on then.
1: Okay, I'll go. I'll <laughs> tell you what. I'm gonna have to think about the second part, but I know the answer to the first part, so I'll go with that. Uh, there are tracks that it would be amazing to see a MotoGP bike at again. Places like Laguna Seca, places like Istanbul Park. Mm-hmm. But for me, the one that I would most like to see have a MotoGP race is Sento. Because I think Indonesia needs a MotoGP race. And the day that we go back to Indonesia to race, wherever it may be, it will be bonkers. It will be big. It will be It will big. be yeah. insane. Yeah. So yeah, for me, that that more than anything uh to do with the actual track action.
0: Which previously used MotoGP track would I like to see return to the calendar? Absolute no-brainer for me. Laguna's close, but for me it is Suzuka in April. I oh, just <laughs> I just think it's the best place to have a motorcycle race. It's the beginning, it was the beginning of the season, it would be the first race or early on. Um Oh, the, 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 the clear skies. You can see the bay. The yeah. It's clear skies. The first warm spring sunshine on your back. You could take your jumper off after a few months of not taking your, your, your top off. <laughs> oh, and you'd always get good racing. The quirkiness of Japan, which we love. Oh, yeah, yeah. I like that. I like yeah, that. that's a solid call. That's a solid yeah, call. Yeah. <laughs> um, what track that we don't go
1: to? Oh dear! We've yet to uh, so go to yet. To I've go been to. having a think about this since she asked the question, and I actually don't know if MotoGP have been there or not because um, I can't remember if it's been there previously. But I would throw at Ami.
0: Yes, they've been to Kalami.
1: Ah, but, but not not as MotoGP.
0: Ain't. Yes, not as That's, MotoGP. GP. Yeah. Uh, Does
1: that mean I can still use it as my answer?
0: I'm sure. Yes, it might have been in a <laughs> previous it's been, shape. Yeah, yeah. I'm now doubting yeah, myself been, now I say that, but I'm pretty. It's sure. been
1: massively. I know it's been massively renovated recently. It's a spectacular circuit from what I remember of uh, World Superbike days there. It's got top class facilities. Everybody would love to go back to South Africa. Brad Bender's kicking up a storm in Moto GPs, so there'd be a big fan back in that. That all sounds pretty. Yeah pretty
0: cool okay Do you, you know, can tell
1: that i'm more about atmosphere than uh, actual racing can't you Oh, well, that's why we all love
0: Mugello, isn't it <laughs> that's exactly, well, exactly. that's exactly. exactly why we all love Mugello. <laughs>
1: um
0: yes we've been to south africa obviously uh, yeah. because we had the uh um what's it called velcom the Velcro race. Yes. Yes. Uh but yes they have been to uh to Kailami as the old track 83 to 85 and the new shortened track which they used in 1992. So uh, yes oh, yes uh, uh, as you can far. tell I had to cheat. I had to get the computer out for that <laughs> one. Uh, 83 88 eight, it's okay. The question said 80, GPA, 83 84 85. <laughs> the winners were Freddie, Eddie and Eddie. And in fact, in 85, Freddy won both the 250 and the 500cc races. And then they wow. went back to Kailami in 92. Winners were Aspar, Max Kaczynski. And then the first year we went to Velcom. I was there that day. It was Gianluigi Scalvini. Valentino won the 250 race, Max Biaggi. Anyway, let's not go down that memory lane.
1: I actually should have known about the ninety two race because that was kind of a big deal. MotoGP were one of the very first international championships to go to South Africa after the end of apartheid, because there was the sporting ban in place. Yes, yes, and that you, was the end of the the ban.
0: You you, you did uh, you did mention Indonesia? I looked up that track the other day, and there was a uh, a, a vlog, a guy, a kind of Swedish guy who lives out there. And he made a very good vlog walking around the circuit. I think he had a drone as well. The video had been up about 24 hours showing, at the time that I watched it, showing the the, the earthworks, the circuit, the shape, the tunnels that they're putting in, the general civil engineering that was going on. Rather impressive, very amazing. 24 hours it had been online, 88,000 views. (laughs) And that's why we need to go to Indonesia. And that's why we need to go to Indonesia. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I then spoke to the guy who is overseeing the construction of the place. And yeah, there's all sorts of other ideas that they got afterwards. But Mm -hmm. let's just see it bit by bit. Let's just see it by bit by bit. Steve Hood, good question. Kristin Malvgaard. I would love to know more about how the teams are organized and who are team employees. And maybe he means who are maybe freelance and who are then employed by the rider. Well, (laughs) works teams have have people that are employed the most. They have the most headcount who are people are on on the books. There are still a few uh, freelancers who invoice in um and then the further down the, the the paddock you go the more and more uh mercenaries as we call it in rallying as a mechanic you just then just send your invoice in you get paid by the weekend yeah um and that and that's it uh who is employed by the rider well that's normally the quote you know the the, the runner the helmet carrier the whatever you want to call him or her that is needed it is a bit of a it is a bit of a press <laughs> office joke. Oh, the helmet. There's carrier. a lot to do. But there's a lot yeah. to do because because if you are a rider and you do damage your crash helmet easily twice in a session, you know, maybe it's got a new sponsor on it, you need to get to back get it back to Arai, Shoei, whoever. And you can't just walk through a paddock exactly. at Hareth. Exactly. It'll take you half an hour. Exactly. <laughs> and mixing drinks and another rider. You know you finish the session 10 45 11 o'clock you get back to your mother home 11 30 you need to eat you need to do and then you're back on track at two ish so yeah and when you're being paid that kind of money some of them you know multi-million pounds euros a year you need to be in tip-top position in, in a situation and you need to be in particular tip-top situation for three days, Absolutely. every fortnight,
1: Absolutely. Um, also worth noting, though, in my experience, uh, even the people who are employed by the teams, who actually do work for the teams, are not necessarily employees in the way most people think in the term. Um, I've worked for a team before. You've worked for a team before. I had an annual contract. I was an employee, but I was technically self-employed, contracted to the team as a, not a freelancer, but as a, a contractor um and i think that's pretty standard across the board with the exception of sort of senior management in most teams who are employees of the factories but um most mechanics will be contracted self you know self-employed employees technically mm-hmm.
0: and when you do look at the works teams you've got your ducatis your yamaha's you know ktm they have a motorsports department you're not working directly for japan you are just working for Yamaha Motor Racing, based at Lesmo, not far from Monza. Uh, Honda Racing Company, yeah, there is there is a Spanish element, but that yeah, you're paid from Japan, but you're not working for the Honda Motor Company. KTM, you're working for KTM Motorsports, Munderfing, Notmatic Offen. So yeah, round and round it goes, round and round it goes. Abdullah Bashir, what is the future of Tito Rabat? Why isn't he riding for
1: Aprilia? Uh so, the, well, I'll have a go at that in two parts. The future of Tito will, it's looking increasingly likely, be Barney Ducati and World Superbikes, which is a, a decent opportunity there. It's going to be factory-backed. He should be in a contract directly with Bologna, not with the team, as a bit of a thank you and sorry for booting him out of Aventia to make room for Bastinini and Marini. Um, Why he's not riding the Aprilia? I think is because Aprilia... Desperately, desperately, desperately need either a really fast rider or if they can't have that little bit of consistency. Um, They are going to have either Bradley Smith or Lorenzo Salvadoria in the bike next year. Uh, Smith consistently beat Rabat uh, most of this season whenever they were lining up on the grid together. Um, So he's both a little bit faster and someone that knows the bike very, very well. Well, if Salvadori gets the ride over Smith, he'll be the fifth rider in five seasons to sit on the other side of the garage from Elisa Espegaro. But at least he's the test rider. At least he knows the bike already. At least he can build on this year into next year. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a torrid time to be the Aprilia rider recruiter, hasn't it?
0: <laughs> yes, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one. Uh, Terry Carmen, Will Mark Marquez come back as strong? Let's hope he does. Terry, we don't know that. You know, here we are in the uh, at the end of twenty twenty, beginning of twenty one. We
1: just don't know. Everything I've heard from, I've, I've spoken to a lot of doctors and a lot of experts and whatever and whatever and whatever, and and what they've all said is that he should come back strong. He should come back with the full physical fitness and range of movement that he had on lap twenty four of the Harrah race. What? Well, We don't know as how long that's going to take. Because it could take three months from today or it could take two years from today. And we don't know if he's going to come back mentally as strong. It's an awful long time off the motorbike. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination saying Mark Marquez is mentally weak. But you just, there's a psychological edge that you need as well as a physical edge. And that is maybe harder to lose, but also harder to get back.
0: Mm, mm, mm. I think your conversations you've had with medical professionals say that it, he should be okay and let's hope he's okay because as I say absolutely and we all say you know you don't have to like him you don't have to hate him what he does on a motorcycle it, it, it's wrong isn't it it's just nuts <laughs> it's just not <laughs> it is. Up yeah wrong, yeah
1: you know exactly <laughs> Exactly. And that's spectacular. Yeah. yeah. And those super slow-mos prove just that. Exactly. Uh,
0: Mark Podmore, name I think we recognised from last time we did a podcast Q&A. Mark asks... What did Pedroza see at the preseason tests that prompted him to say that Suzuki had the potential, but they were not aware of it? These tests are just that, and thus difficult to take any form indications from. I'm just a fan looking in.
1: <laughs> I wish I knew. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, we've alluded to it in previous podcasts. He he told uh, fellow journalist, good friend, Mel uh, Pacino, that Suzuki were going to be world champions this year, and they didn't know it yet. He saw something. Um, Possibly from, from what we've seen now, it might have been the fact that the Suzuki just wasn't bad at anything. You know, it was just the bike this year was just wasn't the best anywhere, but it was in the top half everywhere. It seemed they had no weaknesses. Maybe maybe that's what Pedrosa saw.
0: There's one thing that you do glean from speaking to riders who follow another bike. In our world, how they how they do it anyway is another is another level. How they do it within a tenth of a second or even five hundredths of a second, lap on lap on lap on lap, inch perfect. But when they're following another bike, they can just see the differences that only the Kenny Roberts seniors and the Mick Doans and the Valentinos can see from standing trackside. Mere mortals, I'm really sorry, can't. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Where, so, so when Pedroza's following a Suzuki at some of those pre season 2020 tests, he's going to see oh, do you know what? He, he cracks the throttle open here, and I can't. I have to wait until there. And he breaks later, and if I break later, it doesn't work at turn one at Sepang. I'm in the gravel because you can play around as a test. That's what they're for. Do you know what? I'm going to break here. No, here. Oh no, it doesn't work. So <laughs> that's what Pedroza could uh, uh, could could see at the beginning of the season. Mark, yep they 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 have Absolutely. a pair of eyes that on a grandstand seat that we will never have.
1: I I love walking the service road at a race meeting during practice with an, an ex rider you learn so much. As a journalist that has never raced, you learn so much.
0: Mm, mm, very much so. Bob Whedon, Formula One's hybrid power units have not met with unqualified approval from fans who miss the noise. Is it possible or likely that MotoGP could get caught up in the eco movement or is it MotoE and that's about it?
1: Uh, I think what we've already hinted at, it will happen eventually uh, because that's the way the world's going. Um, We will move to a system where we have something powering an electric motor. And you know what? It's going to be faster and more aggressive and crazier than a petrol engine because when you look at the horsepower figures that an electric motor can put out but can only put them out for maybe a minute, once we figure out the fueling thing, it's going to be mega. They're going to be insane. Mm -hmm. But, 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 it is like, I can't see it happening this side of 2030, 2035. It's a long, long time away.
0: Hmm. Well, let's see. Let's see. It's it's interesting. You know, Formula One. They've got huge budgets. You know, Mercedes sitting at what 400 million euros a year to make to make that car. Uh, Le Mans has done hybrid with different types of hybrid. Whether or not it was flywheel, uh, uh, different types of battery, lithium ion. The thing I always remember with my experience at Le Mans Cars is the Porsche 919 that won three years on the trot, uh, 15, 16, 17. Yeah. It had a two-litre V4 turbocharged engine. Two-litre. <laughs> so it was only a four-pot. It's only a V4. So bolted onto the back of the tub, you go, is that it? Is that it? But with the – and it was turbocharged, so yeah. two, two – Turbo's other side, feed it back in the top, off you go. Then the hybrid kick. When it did the Nurburgring lap record, what was it? Five minutes nineteen or something or other. Something it did fully did it had a 1,100 horsepower. <laughs> Incredible. And it's a two. Technically, it's a two-liter engine. I know there's yeah. an awful lot of air being squashed <laughs> into it, and it will never blow up.
1: No, but, but it's still it's just tiny, a tiny, it's yeah, tiny. Yeah.
0: and it's pushing something enormous compared with a motorcycle, which is of course very slippery in a straight line. Yes. Motorcycles are great down a straight in a straight line. They will at they are faster than a Formula One car mm-hmm. down the yep. home straight at Barcelona. Trouble is they don't stop and they don't go around corners, which is why Mark <laughs> Marquez is an unbelievable 30 seconds a lap slower than Lewis Hamilton around Silverstone. I still can't get my head around that.
1: I, I I've been doing a little bit of playing around in simulators recently in various different types of cars and then jumped in a Formula One car around Barcelona, actually. I couldn't believe the amount of grip. Oh, yeah, yeah. It almost felt uncrashable compared yeah. to, you know, the Aston Martins and Lamborghinis we'd been running around in.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, regarding the whole hybrid thing, you know, Le, Le Mans is the kind of, in my eyes, is the leader in motorsport on this because the rules are quite open. There's another set of rules coming through Simon for Le Mans 24 hours. Uh, uh, Audi are back in, Porsche are back in, even after Dieselgate problems and, oh, we better not do motorsport because we don't want to give the mm-hmm. employees the wrong idea of of, of of spending 300 a year going around in circles at Le Mans. So they, they're going back because it's cheaper, but it's a hybrid specific... Set of rules and such like. I will ask the same question to Neil Spalding because Neil and I are going to do another technical podcast with some questions bolted on. And uh, I do always remember that Harold Bartol put a some kind of little hybrid thing on a one two five, or was it an early Moto three? No, it was a one two. It was five, one two five,
1: and it I was a Hareth, and they pulled yes. it.
0: They went, oh, no, 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 no. We're opening a can of worms with that one.
1: And there were rumors not that long ago that Ducati were experimenting with something else. Ah. There so, were there rumors. And, yeah. and funnily enough, the Ducati rumors never went anywhere. We never got a confirmation of it. But whenever the next set of rules came out, the rules had been amended to explicitly ban flywheel hybrid systems. And
0: what did Audi have in their <laughs> first hybrid Audi? They had a flywheel.
1: Yes. So that's probably more likely the option than any sort of electric motor combo.
0: Yeah. And I say Audi because they own, that's right, Ducati. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Although people like Williams Specialist Engineering made the the flywheel Mm -hmm. in the first place. We digress. Thank you, Bob. Fat Kid 001 Sam. There's a username for you. (laughs) Have a chat, will you, about the best riders never to win. And I think he means a championship because he mentioned Danny Pedroza. These guys that you talk about should definitely have won at least one MotoGP title. In my view, one of the top 10 premier class riders of all time. He means Pedroza. So a rider to never win the big class, but deserves it or should have done is there a difference in those two expressions oh, oh there, there is there
1: might be. oh there is. Yeah, there is there is yeah um arguably pedrosa should have won it but also argue you know honda built an 800 cc motorcycle explicitly for him he had everything he needed but danny's problem is when he crashes he gets hurt yeah and that has basically derailed every every title challenge he's ever made um i i do agree actually i think he is the the best rider never to win a championship in the modern era, without a doubt, whenever you go a little bit further back, there's people like Randy Mamola whose names come into the contention. But, but for me, Pedroza had is the one that had all the opportunities, had all the chances, and just couldn't quite make it happen.
0: Hmm. Before my time, because I just thought he was cool, was Cadalora, because <laughs> he won the other two classes, but he never yeah. quite did the big class. Yeah, and, and as you can tell, you could tell these are emotionally driven answers. And the other one, I'm going to go for Jibber now because he was the most successful mm. rider in the 990cc yeah. yeah. era, five years, 2000 and... Where are we? Two, three, two, to the end of 2006. Uh, he was the most successful rider in that era only to Valentino Rossi who won four of the five championships. So, yeah, I, when he was going well, he didn't half go well. When he was awkward, he was a, he was awkward, but they all can be, can't they? But <laughs> when he was going well, he didn't half
1: win well. Exactly. The other name that I'm going to throw out there, because uh, I got slammed earlier this year on the race uh, comments section for saying that I was bitterly disappointed with him, is Andrea De who has said for three years in a row, if it wasn't for that pesky Marquez, I would have won the title. And then in the championship, whenever Marquez wasn't there, fell apart. So I'm just going to throw that name into the mix. Leave it at that. Yeah, Yeah, leave
0: it at that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Okay, here's a name. Uh, Sectipuspa. Sectipuspa. Why didn't Suzuki have a number one rider this year? I don't
1: think they realised they were going to be so successful. I suppose it's <laughs> a
0: short and sweet answer to that
1: one. I think so, yeah. <laughs> they knew they had two fast guys. They didn't really know which of them was faster. And, and arguably, the way the championship ended, there wasn't much difference. There in wasn't them. much between so them. Exactly. Not, having yeah. a number, yeah. not having a number one rider was actually the perfect strategy. Um,
0: uh, ta-da. I, yeah.
1: And I think despite having a world champion, they're going to have the same strategy next year. There's still not going to be a number one rider in that carriage. That would be my gut feeling, knowing how Suzuki operate. They can't have that policy
0: for too long because it will then lose them a championship at one of those yes. years down the line. Yes, They might have, it might have fallen one way this year, but in the future, we have seen through all walks of team sport with two athletes, if you start taking points away from each other, it falls apart. And in this corporate world of big money and whatever. Scott Beaumont, who is a pro mountain bike rider, he asks... In a similar style to George Russell in Formula One when he swapped from the Williams to the Mercedes during the Bahraini race a couple of weeks ago, nearly won it, which MotoGP rider would you like to see race a different bike in that season, mid-season, like George Russell did go from Williams to Mercedes when he stood in for, for Lewis Hamilton? That's quite a creative question. Oh. Oh. Um,
1: first of all, I have to say Lotus to Scott, who's also heavily involved in Scarborough, Oliver's Mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got two. I've got two. I would like to see Maverick Vinales back in the current Suzuki, just to see it would be a great measure of where Yamaha is, just like the George Russell swap is a great measure of where both Williams and Mercedes were. But I'd also really, really, really like to see Mark Marquez in a Ducati.
0: I was going to say a Ducati. Uh, I was going to say a Ducati. In fact, I'd like to see him on anything else. Because remember, well, Mark Marquez has, that never, has never ridden anything else but something from HRC. Yeah. From what? Apart
1: 2013 from to date. Yeah. Uh, even further from his KTM days as a 125 rider.
0: It was a suitor in Mother 2.
1: He rode yeah. a Honda. Yeah, but I also with a team that then became with a yeah, team that then yeah, became yeah, the factory Honda. Yeah, and he was I the only so. one on a Sudar um,
0: Yeah, Yeah, I'd <laughs> like to see Mark on a I'd like to see him on anything. I don't care. I really don't care. Put him on a Duke, put well, him on a Yamaha, too. put him on a there's that on a Suzuki, <laughs> put him on a KTM. There was all those rumors that he might have gone to, to KTM uh, anywhere, just put him on something else. You know, Mick got close to riding a Yamaha yeah. in the end of the day. I think we there was a bit of playoff between them and he re-signed for, for Honda and he never rode anything else but a Honda. I can see Mark doing that to to the end of his days, but t- times are yeah, a little bit different corporately compared they, with where they were in 96, 97 when Mick was, was talking about that. Uh, which bike would they swap to? I think we've discussed that. What do you think the result would be? Well, if it was Mark, I still think would win. <laughs> I really do. I really do. I think,
1: Scott, it's that simple. Ooh, I don't think he would. Not in a single weekend. Um, I think the car plays more of a role in F1 than yeah the bike okay, does in yeah. MotoGP. I think he, he would win, but it wouldn't happen overnight. No, you're right.
0: I forget the single weekend factor. You're absolutely yep. right. Yes. I think what struck us with George Russell in the Mercedes is what hit me particularly was, uh, do you know what? You, you you can't do that on a bike because the yeah. rider is a bigger The athlete on the bike is the bigger is a bigger exactly. percentage than the athlete in the car. Exactly, um, Formula One
1: drivers. That's just the nature of the two
0: sports. Yeah, Formula One drivers will slap me when they when they see me next. But I think that's that's <laughs> indicative. They've kind of.
1: Uh, they've kind of lost their argument with george yeah
0: correct yes <laughs> correct yes and Chaz davis got into some interesting twitter discussions on that weekend as well Um jeff 722 now that we have seen the concessions model work that Dorna introduced a few years ago to help manufacturers get their machines more competitive suzuki now world championship uh, champions ktm looking more competitive do you think This may sway more to enter a machine in the future like BMW. Well, BMW have been talking about coming into MotoGP for now 20 years. They had a triple running around in uh, 2000, 2001. uh, That had a bit of Italian engineering in it, a bit of Bavarian engineering in it. And they still can't make up their mind. Um, Other people have been and gone. Other people have arrived and are still with us. Um, I think the number of manufacturers is is great. Uh, I think it's great. I think they Neil's been quite adamant this year that if if the money is too much, people will pull out. You know, we must not forget that they will come and go as they please. They don't owe Dawna any favors. The only way Dawna can try and pen them in is by doing these five year deals. Five year yep. deals. You're in. You're in. And I sense, I don't know, but I sense they get a few sweeteners. There are quite a few carrots that get fed on, fed Absolutely. in quite early. TV deals, footage, fit, all sorts of things that otherwise a manufacturer would have to mm-hmm. pay for behind the scenes. Nothing to do with technicalities of the motorcycle, but how you, how you promote your, 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 your motorcycle, yeah. how you promote winning the Grand Prix. Well, you need some TV pictures. How much floor space
1: you get in the paddock for your hospitality suite
0: you've got it the little you've things that it.
1: you never really think of but they all add up
0: it's all There's part a lot of, of the business so yeah an interesting question jeff i hope we've answered it roger maybank what do you think the chances are that we might see a customer suzuki team
1: in the next couple of years i would bet my house on it your van well my van yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah i i think um Suzuki Suzuki, the team, which are largely Italian, know it need to happen. Suzuki the racing department are fairly certain it needs to happen. Suzuki the riders, test rider, crew chiefs think double the amount of data every weekend, yes please. And the only people that really had to be convinced were the senior management in Japan. Now what has actually changed since the end of the season is the announcement that Suzuki have a new sponsor for next year and that Monster Energy are coming on board. That means Japan suddenly has to pay a lot less money. I've heard some rumours that the amount that Dorna give to the satellite teams is going to be up significantly next year. So there's a lot more money on the table to run a satellite team, so you need to find less to pay for bikes. I think all those things combined, yeah, it's almost a given that there'll be four Suzukis on the grid. Sooner rather than later. That's no bad thing. Jose
0: 2022. Jose Consalvez. Do you think that one of the issues of Yamaha development could be that they have lost their way after Lorenzo left? Even being the most successful bike to win this year, they had, what, seven victories, everyone thinks that it is not the bike to carry them to success next year. Hmm. It is difficult to to slam Yamaha after twenty twenty when they win half the races, fifty yeah, percent yeah. of the Grand Prix.
1: <laughs> so and yet they didn't win the championship. I did a good interview with uh, now former Valentino Rossi mechanic Alex Briggs uh, that's on on the race already that went up a few weeks ago, and he talks about why both Valentino and the whole crew left Honda, two thousand and three went to Yamaha. And he said that it it had started to feel like, like it used to be that it was one big team. Everybody was in the same boat. And then it became us and them between the race team and the engineers. And he kind of got the impression that the engineers had a sense of we know better. And I think that's what's happened at Yamaha. The engineers seem to have developed a sense of we know better than the riders. We will give the riders what we believe they need and the riders will ride it which is quite a Japanese factory mentality. And it's one that Honda aren't the only team that have been guilty of in the past. As I said
0: about Aguma-san at the top of the podcast, Wayne-san, necessary, necessary faster. faster.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So I think that, that's the issue that needs to be fixed. They, they need to rebuild their team into one that's a little bit more cohesive. They need, uh, maybe some stronger feedback from the writers. It's not just one person that's caused this problem. Um, And they need to to sort of go away over winter, reassess what they're doing and come back as a better team. Uh, Maverick Vignau has made some good points about how maybe what we need is a very, very opinionated rider who isn't afraid to tell Japan exactly what he wants and what we need for the bike. Enter Cal Crutchlow.
0: We shall see. We shall see. Thank you, Jose. Uh, Salz. if Marquez has an injury problem, recovery problem going into the 2021 season who might replace him. Might it be Stefan Bradle again? Where where are things at with, with Stefan?
1: I think it'll be Stefan. Um, Stefan did a good job this year, especially in the last race, P7, at the final race of the year, whenever he was allowed to be a racer and not a test rider at a track that he knew. Um, so I think he signed a contract for next year already to remain as test rider. I'm sure that will include some clauses as a replacement. We know that Andrea De Vizioso would quite like to step in if that's the option, but I think HRC being HRC, being quite conservative like they are, they'll stick with Stefan. Especially as we'll start the season not knowing how long it'll be until Mark is back. Correct,
0: correct. Asado Simp Itrinemon. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. Do you think that Joe Roberts could bring a new wave of American riders into the scene? Uh No.
1: <laughs> to be completely frank um, I'm glad that Joe's there, I'm glad that he's doing good things I'm glad that Carmen Bobier has made the jump over uh, from Moto America I'm glad that Garrett Gerloff is kicking ass in world superbikes but I don't think it's the start of a whole new wave we're, we're not in 1974 1975 again um, the American system is improving, it will continue to improve but what we really, really need if we want new American wave is uh, we need an American Town Cup. Mm. We need someone to start a series that's putting 13-year-old kids on Grand Prix machines. Mm. Very true. That's the way to do it. That's the only way to do it these days.
0: Very true. Uh, Jürgen Vats, a regular man on Twitter, where can I buy a few years old Moto GP bike? Oh, I like questions like that. <laughs> I like questions like that. I like to sort of think about who would know where a four-year-old Ducati is? So
1: your options are reasonably limited. Japanese manufacturers don't sell their bikes. Uh, I don't know if Aprilia have ever sold a bike. Ducati sell bikes. There are Ducatis in circulation. They're rare, but there are a few out there. ktm sent out a press release not that long ago to say we're selling last year's bikes for two hundred and sixty thousand pounds apply here and you can have one so there, there are some that do it um i know that aprilia are starting a program next year i'd heard rumors they're starting a program next year similar to what ferrari do with the f1 cars where you can pay a subscription fee to become a Super exclusive member and go to a track day where they'll have an RSV4 production super bike. Corsa cliente, MotoGP bike. There racing you go.
0: client, racing so, friend, racing customer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a, I think there's something like that coming from Aprilia. So there are options, and then whenever you go further down the classes, um, I saw someone advertising Xavier Simeon's Moto2 bike for sale on uh, Facebook yesterday. And how much was that? Ah, uh, I think they were looking. About maybe about 16 grand not money. crazy money not yeah, crazy.
0: Not money. silly not silly not silly uh usually you can see all of the older ducatis that they have sold at the festival of speed at goodwood very true uh, they they uh they're in full marlborough branding they're redder than red could possibly be and they just look so cool those first ducati 990s that appeared in what 2003 Man, they were noisy. Oh, they were noisy. They were noisy. I remember I gave Alan Jenkins a lift to the circuit one day in 04, and they were beginning to They changed the engine or 05. They'd done something to the engine, so it wasn't as raspy but the but the but the customer team i don't know Danteen or whoever was running them at the time still had the old raspy one and he got out and we i think it was at barcelona in fact and of course as you know the sound echoes off the the grandstand and pings back over the uh, the top of the paddock and he said oh it still sounds good <laughs> it might be slow compared with the works bike but it still sounds good <laughs> yes yes i'll yep. never forget that
1: uh, i've just had a look There's no price listed, but it's a Team Grissini bike, written by Xavier Simeon, still in his colours, still has his number on it. And if you're interested in buying it, give Mallory Parkering and ask to speak to Eddie Roberts because it's Mallory Park boss Eddie Roberts that has it up for sale.
0: Paul Dawes, that's D-A-W-S, says most French racers have the FFM, that's the French Motorcycling Federation logo, on their leathers, except for Fabio Quattararo. Is this because he spent the early part of his career in Spain? What do the FFM provide to French riders, or are they just patriotic?
1: I'm 99% correct, uh, certain that Quattararo does have it. I think he does, yep. I think he does. In fact, it might not be in his leathers, but it might be in his helmet. Mm -hmm. But I'm almost certain it is there. Mm. Um, The French Federation, um, I'm not really sure there's a huge amount of support that they provide. They just seem to have their act together quite well. I think they help out
0: Le Mans. I think they do it that way. Right. Okay. I think they help out Oh, I've forgotten his name as the promoter at Le Mans. They're all in uh, bed with each yeah, other. Yeah, I know and, what you mean. Claude yeah. Michi, Claude Michi, and yeah. they they all say, "Why don't we just make a really good Grand Prix?" <laughs> Sounds easy when you say that, because it's not. <laughs> um, why don't we make it? and we all club together? And I think the logo is on the front of the program, and I think it's on the side of the yeah, track. It is, and yeah. it's all they're all in bed with each other, and it yeah. all works. So they might not directly give money to the riders. But they help the Grand Prix happen, which then causes the riders to be able to get other French sponsorship from whoever, whoever. And you know. I, yeah, I, 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 I love they're... the end of Paul's question. Or are they
1: just patriotic? What do you think? <laughs> they're French. <laughs> they're French, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all, all you have to do to know the answer to that question is stand on the, uh, the roof of the grandstand at Le Mans whenever the national anthem comes on pre-race. Yes. At 105,000. Plastered Frenchmen sing yes, along.
0: Yes, yes. Or when Louis Rossi won the Motor 3 race there and nobody had a dry eye in the house, including me. It was brilliant <laughs> and they banged out the Marseillaise. Uh, Stuart Coulter, were Yamaha too hasty in promoting Quattarara to the factory team for 2021 or should they have taken the cool, calm and collected Morbidelli instead that's mm. not quite a fair question, Stuart. Because remember, the seasons didn't start to the middle of July, and people were getting their acting order for 21, as they would have done normally in the April, the May. The fact that we hadn't had a race at that point was almost nobody's fault. They had to move before the music stopped, and they didn't have a seat to sit in.
1: Uh, until you added the Morbidelli part, I was gonna say no no absolutely they should have they did the right thing with quadraro um i know you've got me thinking (laughs) um no i i think quadraro is the younger writer he is arguably the more talented MotoGP gp writer based on what we've seen in previous performances um you know let's not forget that last year he was the one on lesser machinery and he was pretty much the only person that could take the fight to mark marquez um, I think this year's performances for him was a bit of a blip, maybe more caused by Yamaha than anything else. Uh, whereas Morbidelli was in the same bike with a hugely experienced crew chief. They worked around the problems a little better because of their experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they made the right call. I think time will show that it was the right call.
0: Question from Bradley Baker. With VR46 taking over the second Esponsorama seat... For 2022,
1: where does that leave Bastianini? Uh, Good question. I would imagine it leaves him somewhere within the Ducati Circus, but there's obviously a lot of full seats there. We don't quite know what's going to happen with what riders are going to be on what bikes. We don't know what teams are going to have what bikes either, though. Um, You know, there's been... There's been some whispers this week that maybe Grassini, who have announced that they're going to be an independent team again and not the the sort of part of the arm of the Aprilia Empire, uh, there's some rumours of them being a Ducati team. So, Bastianini's on a Ducati contract. They'll slot him in there if that's the case. Um, I, I don't think anyone will be getting particularly stressed about that, apart from maybe Johan Zarco who obviously stands out as the old man in the set-up night. Old man. Goodness me. <clears throat> two, two. He's two years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> two belting <laughs>
0: questions to finish off, and, and I like these. Uh, the first of which is from JPCAMG. Are motor GP and Formula One more entertaining without the dominant force, Ala Lewis, a la Mark? Arguably, from what we've seen
1: in 2020, <laughs> the answer to that is yes. <laughs> um, Yes and no. Uh, MotoGP has been insanely competitive anyway. Without Mark Marquez, when you look at individual races and not championships, because he never gets it easy. He might win every weekend or be second every weekend, but he never gets it easy. Um, so he, you know, he, I don't think it affects the excitement of particular rounds. Um, but yeah, obviously he has sort of whitewashed the championship the last two years. But I think. The rules are bringing the sport closer and closer. And that's what we saw in 2020. I think it would have been just as close, even if he'd been there. You know, we have had years like 2020 with him there. 2016, for example, nine winners Mm -hmm. in a row. You know, so I I think Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily his absence or his presence that makes it. Um, Whereas I think that might be slightly different in F1, but I'm not getting into that. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Final question. This is a good one from Philbert Wang. John Kaczynski reputedly, well, he did blame a fish lying on the inside of a corner for crashing, despite the circuit being miles <laughs> from the sea. What is the best, stupidest, stupidest, zaniest excuse you've ever heard from
1: a rider? So, this is not necessarily a Grand Prix answer, but harks back to my British Superbike days the British Superbike press officer Laura Stevens and I still maintain a PDF uh, or an Excel spreadsheet online called the Book of Excuses. (laughs) 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 And it has just a collection of the most incredible things in it. Because every time someone said something stupid, we wrote it down. Um, there is everything in that document. I've heard writers complaining about not being fast because the sunburn on their shoulders. Um, I've heard writers... Oh, the poor the poem. I've heard writers complaining about um, being distracted by a sonic boom because the RAF quick reaction force went over the circuit as they were starting their qualifying lap. There is all sorts. There is all sorts. You know, the tear-off, the... Tear off, the uh, the Pecklebagnia, I crashed because I lost the front on a tear off excuse. That is I've heard that from multiple writers. That isn't even a rare one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they, yeah. They, they, sometimes yeah. they love a good excuse this lot, but th- there's a serious side to it as well. I think in that, um, there's a bit of a psychological element to it all. Writers never want to say I made a mistake cause I crashed. I, I don't want to, I cried. Sorry. I didn't, I don't want to say i crashed because i made a mistake i want to have something to blame for it because then i can get right back in the bike and go as fast in the next outing. so sometimes they do it even whenever i think they know
0: i think the thing about kaczynski was he said it because he knew it was just completely stupid and completely <laughs> you know aliens ate my homework um, um and he said it just to see who bit because that's his kind of humor <laughs> that's that that was that's his kind of humor and he's the one with the last laugh with all the money he's making at the moment, West Coast. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, that's that's a marathon Q and A. That's a marathon Q and A. We're uh, just a little bit over an hour, but that's uh, our it,
1: longest ever.
0: It was. Uh, it's our longest ever. It's been nonstop. So, uh, so thank you, Simon. Thank you, and thank you. We'll be doing some more MotoGP podcasts over the off season. So keep in touch for some analysis, some tech talk with Spalders maybe even if we can find a subject on retro flashbacks all about Mudder GP. Do like and subscribe and keep in touch with us through our Twitter accounts at WeAreTheRace, at Toby Moody, at Denkmit for Simon Patterson and at Spaulders for Neil Spalding. In the meantime, thank you very much, stay safe and have a very happy Christmas. Goodbye for now.